0: Hello and welcome to Today in Space. I am your space science podcast host from the East Coast, Alex Diorfanos. I've got 24 things to look for. This is not everything that's happening in the space industry, but it feels like a good encapsulation of what to expect from space in the year 2024. And those 24 things kind of pack into nine different groups. We have the moon, space station activity, orbital human space flight, deep space space flyers astronomy payloads and satellites rocket technologies and mars so let's start off right off the bat with the moon because that's where most of our activity is eight of these activities are based around the moon or in some way going to help get us to the moon so let's start with number one here starship so starship if you're not aware real quick recap Starship is SpaceX's option and NASA's first human landing system for this Artemis mission that's happening, where astronauts will be going to the moon and then returning back home. Artemis 2 coming up shortly. But Starship is a really unique way to get humans from place to place. It is is designed to launch and land itself and then launch itself again from that location, something that only multiple spacecraft have ever really done for us. So Starship's development, we saw some really crazy launches in 2023, the two test flights for Starship so far. And with 2024, now that they've been able to separate from the super heavy booster, we expect a lot of progress. Now, I don't think it's going to happen fast for SpaceX. I think, Number one, they didn't destroy the pad on the last, last test launch, and that is going to be key for them keeping up their progress. So I think as long as no pad delays happen and nothing else delays progress, some kind of anomaly they weren't expecting, but if the pad can stay safe, then they'll be able to keep launching Starships. They're cranking them out at Starbase. We would love to try and jump in 2024 and actually see Starbase for ourselves. That's one of our goals. But in Starbase, they can keep the pad clean and safe. I think we may see as many as five Starship launches this year, with it ramping up towards the summer. I think this first test may come at the end of January, but may push to February. But with how quickly they're turning these things around and getting more repetitions on how Starship is going to fly, I am very excited for them to crank up operations in Boca Chica in preparation for later down the road when Florida's launch site is ready to go. Figure out all the stuff in Boca Chica, all the bumps and scrapes and zits and whatever else is going on there. Iron it out, get it testing, and then bring it to Florida. That's our hope for 2024 an active starbase in Boca Chica. Next up we have the Viper mission. It's a rover from NASA, NASA's Volatiles Investigating Polar Exploration Rover. So the long and short of it is the Viper Rover is planned to look for water on the South Pole. And if you're new to the party, the South Pole is where all the human activity is gonna go because we believe there is water there. And that's what you need if you need humans going there. So late 2024 is, was the estimated mission launch for 2024, but as we'll find out later, something happened to that lander from Astrobotics, so they'll need to figure that out and get on another rocket before we see Viper launch aboard. So while it's slated for late 2024 for a 100-day mission, I am going to expect that to slip a little bit here, but we'll find out more about that lander later in the episode. Number three here is the Vulcan rocket. Vulcan is the new heavy lift option from the United Launch Alliance, where they were able to fuse the Delta IV and Atlas V technologies together to create the Vulcan Centaur Heavy Lift rocket. That had its cert one basic made in flight. And things seemed to go really well with going to orbit. The BE4 engines from Blue Origin were on board that Methalox. Methane oxygen rocket with the blue flame looking great with those SRBs, those side boosters. Something did happen to Astrobotics spacecraft, and I'm not sure if we're going to see it actually land. That would mean that the payload on board is also doomed for that. But the good thing is that the B 4 engines and the Vulcan rocket appear to have delivered it into the extreme orbit that it was requiring, which is this lunar orbit. So The good thing is that Vulcan has had a good first test and needs one more to come later this year, and then it will be operational to start sending more missions into the places where we want the most, like the moon. And we'll keep following that Peregrine lander mission. We seem to have a very interesting mission where we may not actually get the rover to land, and some kind of complications stop that. So the latest update from Astrobotics. This is Update 8. This was released on January 9th at 4.36 p.m. on Twitter or X. It says, Astrobotic's current hypothesis about the Peregrine spacecraft's propulsion anomaly is that a valve between the helium pressurant and the oxidizer failed to reseal after actuation during initialization. This led to a rush of high-pressure helium that spiked the pressure in the oxidizer tank beyond its operating limit and subsequently ruptured the tank. While this is a working theory, a full analysis report will be produced by a formal review board made up of industry experts after the mission is complete. All available data is being downloaded from the lander to support this assessment. ULA's Vulcan rocket inserted Peregrine into the planned translunar trajectory without issue. There is no indication that the propulsion anomaly occurred as a result of the launch. Next up on the moon, the Peregrine Lunar Lander, which we were just talking about on that maiden CERT-1 mission for Vulcan. As we see from this, as we're recording, this is two hours ago by an article on New Scientist by Leah Crane. It looks like seven hours after the launch started, there were some anomalies and there is that possibility it may not land on the moon. Now, originally when the spacecraft was trying to reorient itself so the solar panels could be facing the sun which is how solar panels work for some reason that wasn't facing the right way and the engineering team on the ground was able to eventually get that worked out but when they were using thrusters on the lander to make sure that they're still working way before they even get into this lunar orbit it looked like they were leaking and so there is some kind of critical loss of propellant that's happening here that's not allowing them to finish testing and it It's possible if they don't figure this out, or there isn't a way to figure this out, they may not have enough fuel to land. And there's this image of the insulation that looks to be deformed. At first, I thought that was a fuel tank that had now, uh, the thin shell of it had now just crumpled in on itself. But apparently that's just insulation. Regardless, all of these payloads that were on this Cert one mission that are going to the moon surface, they were going to be taking the lander down. Uh, and this lander has been in the works for a while. I was reading an article where in 2021 they were planning on landing on the moon, or at least launching to the moon. So now, 2024, they finally get to launch, and problems arise. It is a story as old as time and space, where things never quite go as they should, but if we can learn anything from the historic Apollo 13 mission, there are solutions to problems that you never would have thought of, that you can only come up with, when it's go time. So for this team, the Peregrine Lander team, it is go time. So we wish them luck trying to troubleshoot this, make the most of the mission. At the very least, again, Vulcan has done a great job, and those BE-4 engines have done a great job of getting the whole mission into the orbit it needs to be, which means at the very least, they can still get some data out of this mission with everything that's on board. So a little bit of shuffling of the pieces on the board, but we wish them luck as the moon takes another victim in our quest as humans to somehow play nice with the moon. But let's continue. The Lunar Trailblazer mission, that's out of JPL. And what it's going to do is provide new insights into the lunar water cycle. This is expected to launch in Q1 here of 2024, or at least that's what's being slated for right now based on the mission website. And it's one of these lower budget missions that NASA put together the Simplex, the Small Innovative Missions for Planetary Exploration. So these are cheap missions to find science in places where the cost of going there is just too expensive, or maybe we didn't even have the technologies and it was just literally too cost prohibitive. So this one is going to be looking for a valuable resource on the moon, especially as we have humans going there, water. So we expect to see more from that. And this will be launching on a Falcon 9 Block 5 out of Kennedy Space Center on pad LC-39A. Now, we've heard a lot about NASA's lunar missions. They're doing a bunch as they prep for Artemis and sending humans back to the moon on a regular basis. Prime 1 is another mission that they will be sending up on a lander that they're hiring intuitive machines for. We'll find out in our last lunar segment more about that. But this is going to deliver the Trident and M-SOLO experiments and technologies to the moon. Trident is the regolith and ice drill for exploring new terrain. And the M-SOLO is the mass spectrometer observing lunar operations. Scientists are really good with these names, huh? Prime one is planning to drill into the lunar surface, harvest, and bring the ice to the moon's surface, and use a mass spectrometer to measure how much is lost to sublimation as it turns from solid into vapor in a vacuum. It will be launching on board a SpaceX Falcon 9 Block 5 And obviously heading to the moon. So this means NASA's planning on building up their understanding of water on the moon. Two missions. Lunar Trailblazers is going to be scanning the moon's water cycle from orbit. And on the ground, on the lander, they will have this Prime 1 technology attached to the intuitive machine's lander. And then we'll be able to drill into the surface and learn even more. So lots from NASA around the moon Prime 1 is just part of it. Let's talk about the lander. And the final moon topic for 2024 to look out for is the Intuitive Machines IM-1 lunar mission. Right now, they're slated for a mid-February launch window for this IM-1 mission. The Nova C lunar lander is planning to land near the south pole of the moon, Requiring specific lighting conditions that are only available for a handful of days each month, which is why they're only thinking about a mid-February launch window, because right now it's that blackout zone for this whole environment that this mission is going to. And in December, they delivered the lander to Cape Canaveral in Florida and they've been integrating that to a SpaceX Falcon 9. It's gonna be the first attempt from Intuitive Machines as part of NASA's Commercial Lunar Payload Services or CLIPS initiative, a key part of NASA's Artemis Lunar Exploration efforts. We talk about this with going to the moon. We've interviewed some people who are way smarter than I have and have way more expertise than I do that one of the biggest problems we're going to have about going back to the moon is that the infrastructure for a lot of this stuff, simple things like communicating, knowing where you are, being able to send data back and forth reliably, and not being in a blackout zone on the moon when you have human beings on board. Artemis is going to be taking those first steps like Artemis 2, which we'll talk about here in just a second, but the infrastructure of things needs to get built. NASA can't do it all. So they create these contracts and services in order to build this up. And Artemis is way more than just going back to the moon, at least as it's planned. It's to set up the infrastructure for us to do this long term, live in space, and start getting human life off just the Earth. Which brings us to some orbital Human spaceflight. And of course, if we're talking about the moon, we have to talk about Artemis 2. So, the four astronauts who were chosen to go on Artemis 2 are getting ready down in Florida. They have been. Uh, if you've been following along, they've been getting ready. The launch is right now slated for no earlier than November of 2024. So, a holiday launch for human beings who will be the first that will be sending to the moon since the Apollo days, which is really crazy to think about. After we recorded this episode, of course, NASA released the updated revision to the schedule for upcoming Artemis missions. Thank you to Heather D. Smith for keeping me up to date on this. I missed the live announcement, but if you're looking to follow about things in space. But the crewed flight of Artemis 2 has moved from November of 2024 to September of 2025, and Artemis 3, which would be the first crewed landing mission since 1972, is moving to 2026. So, there's a lot of wiggle room now for Artemis. It's not a complete surprise, but it is an update and the latest. So, thanks to Heather for keeping us up to date online about what's going on with NASA. So, no Artemis this year, but... Lots of testing and progress for NASA to keep in touch with and a good excuse to try and get some of these Artemis astronauts on the podcast to talk about their experience. So that's what we'll do. Try and make up for the time that we have to wait for Artemis 2. And we loved Artemis 1. The mission went off really well. You got to see that high bar of redundancy that you need and technical prowess for Orion capsule and It went swimmingly, and so Artemis II is the first time where really all the work comes to a culmination. These four individuals are risking their lives for this amazing journey that they're going to be going on, so we wish the teams all the best. We wish all the people at NASA working on making this happen, and that that team can work together to build trust and honesty so that they can solve the hardest problems that will happen as we go into space you know even if everything goes according to plan there is still a lot of work that needs to be done in order to bring these humans back safely so a big ticket item to look forward to uh, with artemis 2 so if you want to catch up go back check out the artemis 1 episodes and our coverage of the artemis astronauts being chosen for artemis 2 and we almost forgot we started the orbital human spaceflight. we talked about artemis and the reason it's important to be orbital human spaceflight is this is beyond low Earth orbit. This isn't just going to the edge of space like some space flyers are doing nowadays, but this is going into deep space and into areas where there are a lot more dangers. Polaris Dawn is one of those exciting missions. We saw the Inspiration 4 missions during the pandemic, and we saw an all-citizen flight go to the highest altitude, higher than we've gone in a long time, and Polaris Dawn is going to push that a little bit for- further with extra extravehicular activity outside of the Dragon spacecraft. And then eventually, moving to Starship and basically performing these tests and incremental steps of human activity in space, but from a citizen-led mission with Jared Isaacman at the lead with Polaris Dawn and just the Polaris program in general. So Polaris Dawn is that next level. We've been seeing the crew practice. We saw some of the steps of the spacecraft the Dragon spacecraft that's there, I expect more from Polaris Dawn, and I'm very excited to see where that goes and just more of the training team and and, and what they're doing and what it's like to prepare for a mission like that. I think that's what Inspiration 4 was so good at, is it got us excited about these people going through it, and it felt, unlike the early astronauts and how they were just perfect human beings that were unattainable, this made it seem like, Anybody who wanted to work hard and train to go into space could do it. That's what the inspiration for did for me, at least. So let's talk about some more human spaceflight with the space flyer missions. So space flyers are those individuals that are going on a Kármán line jump. That's like the Blue Origin New Shepard missions and the Virgin Galactic missions where they're, in either case, taking a spacecraft and a booster or a plane into orbit. And then they're spending some time in Zero-G and then coming back. So we expect to see some more Virgin Galactic missions. We're going to see two from them this year, at least from what we're seeing online so far. Blue Origins, New Shepard is going to start launching humans again. Both of them are in that early stage of sending humans where they both had some anomalies that the FAA has said, nope, you've got to ground it, you've got to figure out what happened and put together a plan so that we can fix what didn't go right, so everything works as we expect. So, with two flights during the year, we're gonna see this next galactic mission start up very soon, but also, we are exploring different ways that I can be a active member of human space flight. Now, what does that mean? I've talked about here about how the Inspiration4 mission has kind of convinced me from, I know I would never go to space, to, what would it be like to be an astronaut and and looking at that possibility as being just more and more possible as everyday citizens are able to jump into this, whether it's the space flyer club or like the inspiration for in Polaris Dawn, where these citizens are going on an adventure, putting their lives on the line in order to do this. You don't have to book a flight with NASA to do this anymore. So the idea of an astronaut is growing. I, was already starting to look at some analog astronaut missions, I think my unique blend of 3D printing, problem solving, and communication could meld really well in some analog astronaut demonstration of 3D printing and communication in a Martian environment or a lunar environment, and basically be able to prove out what could be done before they actually go. You know, I'm on a journey to get more healthy, but I've definitely got some physical limitations, but, and I'll give a huge shout out to Haley Arsenault. Haley doing what she did on the inspiration for being the first person with a prosthetic to go to space and all the things that she's gone through in her life, way more uh, severe than what I've gone through, um, that she could still do it makes me feel like, well, there's a possibility that I could even do that. Like some weird idea, like I couldn't survive the, the launch stresses or something like that. Like I'm just going to fall apart. Um, <laughs> um, but it does, it takes someone uh, like that to just change, change your mind and make you show what's actually possible. So I'm looking at all the opportunities that are out there. Virgin Galactic had sent out on to a list of people that had just signed up for interest of going into space on one of those missions. I'm not, able to afford any of those missions which are in the 500,000 half a million dollar range uh, per flight don't have that but meeting and connections and everything we've learned about this podcast and about learning about space so much about it is the connections and then the people that you're working with and that you know now they had this next-gen astronaut opportunity that basically would If you're still interested, you would be able to pay to get into this next-gen astronaut course. It's a limited group of people from those people that were interested in the first place, even just generally interested. It's going to give you access to tons of education. You're going to learn from the pilots, the people that built it, the people that are doing the training for the astronauts. And it's like an in-depth just education of that. And I could not pass that up, sign up for it, And your boy is a next-gen astronaut, or at least in this group. I still have no idea what it all means other than it's an educational opportunity and an opportunity to get deeper into this astronaut community or space flyer community and learn more. And then I can bring this back to you guys uh, and share that experience. So that is super exciting. Don't know what it means, but I am pumped for it. So I will let you know more about that, but... There's possibilities of going to Spaceport America now. That's, that's more than before. So I am trying new things here in the new year. Um, and I'll also be looking for analog astronaut opportunities or just ways that I can play a role as an individual to help progress human spaceflight missions, right? Because the more that we can plan and see what's possible here on Earth, the better prepared we'll be f- to do anything, off-Earth, anywhere else. All right, folks, on our Mars list for 2024 is the Japan Aerospace Exploration Agency's MMX, or Martian Moon Exploration Mission. Now, this was originally slated for 2024. If you look at all the articles that are out there for what to expect in 2024 in space, all of them, including my original uh, editing for this podcast, has been obliterated because... Within this first month, so many missions have been pushed back. A lot of that is from, obviously, NASA's recalculation of what's going on with Artemis, but there's plenty of other things, including, you know, what the launch cadence has changed. So, we're not expecting this till 2026, but it's still an exciting mission to talk about. So even with all the delays across the industry. So let's still talk about it. Now, the Martian Moon Exploration Mission is a spacecraft that would take a year, launch from Earth, go into orbit around Mars, and then collect scientific data on the moon Phobos and actually touch down on the surface and grab some kind of a sample. And then after that, the sample would come back, spacecraft will return to Earth and carrying that material. Right now, all of that has been rescheduled to 2026, and then a Martian orbit insertion in 2027, and then the spacecraft won't make it back to Earth until 2031. So, there's a long time before this mission actually happens, but it's very, very interesting because... A major scientific goal for the mission is clarifying the origin of the two Martian moons and the evolution process of the Martian sphere, or Mars, Phobos, and Deimos, that whole environment. And the creation of this system is one of the keys to solving the mysteries of planetary formation in the solar system. The more we learn about the things that are there, the more we'll learn about the formation. And as much as we feel like we know a lot about Mars, We know way more about our moon than we do Mars, and unfortunately, our moon, we can still learn a lot about, as we're learning there's more water on it than we ever thought before. So, regardless, the MMX mission will be exciting, although we are going to have to wait a few years before that launches. But it'll be a very cool mission, and another sample return uh, by... JAXA, which would be very, very cool. Now let's talk about some orbital deep space missions. There are two that are really interesting coming up here. So number one, you may have heard of that DART impact mission where NASA impacted an asteroid, a, a, a dual asteroid system, in order to see the difference. That DART mission showed us that a kinetic impact of some kind could potentially be in the playbook for an asteroid or comet. That's coming to impact Earth, and we need to do something quick, not the Armageddon-esque drop a nuke on it and see what happens. The European Space Agency is going to send their HERA spacecraft to investigate what's happened afterwards. We did the initial impact. We were able to have you know the little camera craft that followed after the main one impacted. We got to see the debris, and it was a lot different, at least in my uh, honest opinion of what we expected. And even if you looked at the simulations of the DART mission, that wasn't even what they were expecting. So what happens afterwards? How do we figure out how well this really worked? HERA is going to be examining the first test of asteroid deflection, performing the first survey of a binary asteroid system. It's going to perform a detailed post-impact survey of the target asteroid, Dimorphos and Didymos. And so like this is like a long-term study of the DART impact from real up close. Will I get to understand ejecta and debris and all the tiny subtle variations to that gravity and orbit of those two systems together? And we're just going to get a lot of good physics and numbers around how well did this really work and how well could this work for us in the future if we got to defend Earth from some kind of crazy space asteroid. Next up, and our final deep space mission to look out for in 2024 is the Europa Clipper, a mission to Jupiter's moon that has been fought for for many, many years and has been in the zeitgeist and the discussion for political budgets at NASA for a very long time. And finally, the Europa Clipper it will be launching on board a Falcon Heavy, which is a huge, huge win for everybody. Uh, it helps the Europa Clipper teams save money for the launch itself. It helps NASA and the taxpayers pay less money to get something into space. And it's obviously an amazing payload to add to the list of Falcon Heavy. And it's another mission for us to look for life on another planet. And the beautiful thing about U- the Europa Clipper is if we do find something on Europa, as far as product scientist Robert Pappalardo is concerned, If there is life in Europa, it's almost certainly was completely independent from the origin of life on Earth. And that would mean the origin of life must be pretty easy throughout the galaxy and beyond. So if you ask the people involved in the mission, finding life in some way with Europa Clipper would produce a change in how we look at things and life across the universe especially our solar system which means in our own stellar backyard we don't even have to travel light years to other galaxies it could be in our own backyard and that would be really interesting granted being that it's a Jupiter there is a ton of local radiation so whatever it is is going to be in the oceans underneath the surface that they will live protected by the regolith and ice of the outer surface so Europa Clipper very excited that that is finally on the books to launch and we're looking forward to that. There are two kinds of payloads to look up for in 2024, two very very interesting ones. The first is Amazon's Project Kuiper, another internet satellite constellation that will be launching on board some SpaceX missions because SpaceX is committed to in their own stated way keeping launch services available to anyone, even if they compete in some way like Starlink. Now, what this means is more things into orbit, Uh, and Amazon will not use SpaceX forever. They wanna be launching this on their New Glenn rocket, which we will talk about, and another thing to look forward to from Blue Origin, with b 4 being a success on Vulcan, having that on New Glenn, since that whole system is stackable, We're starting to see the success rate from Blue Origin, which means if Blue Origin starts launching their own Amazon Project Kuiper satellites, there's going to be a lot of launches, which also means a lot of things in orbit, accelerating the space debris problem and really the space management problem. So we're expecting uh, the FAA to get more involved with these launches. And we're definitely looking for some leadership, maybe from the Department of Transportation. I think they're the ones that are partially involved in this. Or maybe it's the Space Force that helps navigate traffic. I'm not sure. But Project Kuiper is going to make a big jump into orbit this year. And there's going to be more national security and, for lack of a better word, secret launches that are going to be happening. Space, I mean, the Space Force is one of the new military branches. There has definitely been a lot of activity in space. The Russia-Ukraine War, a big battlefield, is space with Starlink and Starshield as those roll out. And the government uses resources from the stars and orbit to protect soldiers and to also use against enemies. So that is going to grow with time. I am still don't know what I think about it. I've talked about it a lot in this episode. We won't dive into it here, but you can definitely hear our thoughts on Starlink and Starshield and this integration of military use with low Earth orbit. And what that means for all of us. There's also going to be three major space station activities to look out for in 2024. The first is Dream Chaser from Sierra Nevada Space. Dream Chaser is something we've talked about since the very beginning of the podcast back in what, 2014. There was this period of time post-shuttle. And even during the end of you know the last few decades of the shuttle. Because remember, the shuttle was in oper- operation for a very, very long time. And there was a period of time where the logical progression was that we would have all of these space planes. And eventually these space planes would just fly on boosters, uh, very similar to what they actually had in Interstellar. That whole setup of how they got off Earth into orbit, right? That's the... dream chaser concept right and and so basically you would be able to launch aboard a booster which the vulcan rocket system would be carrying and will next be carrying a dream chaser into orbit and a smaller shuttle Uh, i'm i'm oversimplifying it but a more advanced, smaller version of the space shuttle is the Dream Chaser. Now, again, I'm not trying to oversimplify it. I would love to have someone from the Dream Chaser team come on to talk more about it. So please, if there's anyone out there, if you know somebody, please let me know. Hit me up, at gmail.com. We'd love to talk to them. So if you can help make us a connection there, that would be great. But Dream Chaser is one of those things that would allow us to increase human space flight uh, tremendously. But not only that... There is a growing need for location-to-location transport on Earth and using orbit as the highway of getting there. Starship already has had a ton of interest, never mind commercially but militarily, from delivering things across the planet in much faster time than you can do by plane and going through customs and all those things. So having a site-to-site orbital way of travel is going to change things, and being able to utilize already existing airports and landing strips just increases the availability of launches to you. It would act as not only a vehicle to send humans to the International Space Station at some point, but it would also serve as, in some of the documentation, the ship for Blue Origin, and Orbital Reef, and whatever other space station might come up, I see Dream Chaser, assuming everything goes well with the first test flight and getting things going here and final development, but it's going to play a big role in space station activity moving forward. We're so excited to see this launch, and we just cannot wait for more from Dream Chaser. It's one of our favorite spacecraft, and uh, it's been a long time coming, so... Very excited for Dream Chaser and the team there to see all their work come to life. Boeing Starliner uh, is here again in 2024. We're looking forward to Starliner getting to orbit, you know, with with human beings and getting that final test robotically, where we're going to be able to see it dock with the space station, spend extended time up there, have the astronauts check it out, check out that docking goes well, and then that the return will go just as well as the last attempt. Uh, for Boeing and the Starliner team. I know a lot of people who have worked on Starliner over the years, and they've kind of been plagued with software issues and, and some integration stuff. It's a perfect reason on even if you are someone like Boeing who has been at this for a very, very long time, the way you design something means a lot. The way that your culture of pr- solving problems means a lot. And... You know, if, if too many problems stack up, even the best team is going to struggle getting through those. And Boeing has just really had a lot of that with Starliner. So we wish the team luck. We want them to succeed. I mean, there's been so much money and time invested in this. We, we want them to succeed. 2024, we're looking forward to seeing them do just that. So good luck, Starliner team. And we're looking forward to seeing that puppy, uh, the CST-100, get into orbit and docking and coming back home safely. And then Axiom three, the first all-European commercial flight, is going to be happening uh, very, very soon. The astronauts are already in Florida. It's slated to launch on January seventeenth, two thousand twenty-four, using a Crew Dragon spacecraft. So SpaceX's Falcon nine will be launching this. And you know, Axiom is really doing a a big job of getting private human spaceflight to the station and. You know, they are unlike many of the other organizations, they are unlike any other organization doing human space flight. Um, they, they don't have their own rockets, they don't have their own spacecraft, but they are utilizing the best services that exist in the industry. The Crew Dragon is NASA's ride to the space station. So the fact that they can work with a company like SpaceX to have their own private crewed mission allows a, a, a region like Europe. And it allows them, without their own human spaceflight capabilities, spending years and decades and billions of dollars that it would take to build that, they can now have their first fully crewed mission on the ISS. And having their first all-European commercial crew today in 2024, as opposed to 2034, is a huge deal. And it's going to help accelerate Europe because they are thirsty for space flight and innovation and getting out there they've been involved in so many missions with the u.s and canada for so long i'm really excited to see europe and countries around the world get involved in space so that it's not just the u.s and russia doing most of the activity and that's not to mention china although they have their own space agency and They are launching a lot, so we expect them to continue doing that. But let's move into rocket technologies. We love rockets here, so we want to talk about another country that is going to be launching like crazy and has already launched for 2024, and that is India's ISRO. They made a splash in orbit around the moon. They landed on the moon. India is a country that is primed right now for space travel, and... We're only expecting their flight cadence to increase. They already launched uh, another satellite, another payload to investigate black holes recently at the start of this year. So India is slated to do some great things and to continue its dominance in space. I mean, as a player on the world stage, they could enter top three in the next year or two as they continue to get their launch sites Uh, moving and and more rocket technology launching off the pads. So India is a big player, and we're only going to see more with their launch rates increasing. We talked about Blue Origin already, but New Glenn, we are really excited to see that. We started seeing some pictures, some aerial photography of some people in the area seeing New Glenn boosters going out. When they will fly, we don't know. One of the things I wish in 2024 is that we get to see more from Blue Origin about what they're doing and some more of the day-to-day. We are really blessed with SpaceX that we get so much ahead of time and we just get to see so much of what's going on 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 a regular basis. Blue Origin hides behind the invisibility cloak of Jeff Bezos. So I get it. It's strategic. I get why you do it. But For us, it's just not our mix. And there's so many brilliant people that we've met from Blue Origin. So it's not even like, uh, I, I love SpaceX more. It's just there are just a ton of really brilliant people working there. We want to hear more from them. So I understand the strategic nature of that. But let's get some of these people talking and sharing their knowledge so we can see everything that Blue Origin seems to be really confident about. Because from the outside looking in, We don't see much. So let's see more from Blue Origin, New Glenn we're excited for, and of course the BE-4 for Vulcan being a success. That's huge. So more from Blue Origin. In our perfect world of fusion, we have to talk about the Terran R. The Terran R from Relativity Space is the world's first fully 3D printed rocket. It's brought down the amount of parts that a rocket can be built with. It's built the Aeon R which is the reusable engine of the Terran R, and they're making tons of progress for this new reusable rocket made from 3D printing. If you look at their website, they're actually sharing all of the different activities that are going on, so you can see development as they test new and new things. I I love everything that's going on at Relativity right now. Uh, It was a pleasure talking to Jordan Noon, who was the CTO, who helped breathe life into that so that they could get to the place where they could become reusable. And of course, we love the aspect of a perfect 3D printing application being used in the space industry. I mean, it's it's our perfect world. So the the crossing of the streams of 3D printing in space will continue with Terran R and Relativity. And Rocket Lab. We don't talk too much about Rocket Lab. But Rocket Lab is, you know, granted, out of New Zealand... most part but now that they have a launch pad here in the u.s rocket lab is a u.s another u.s company that is launching into space and is really holding up the industry and providing a lot of really important launches they've had some struggles like many many space companies but they've done a really good job and for a publicly traded company that is doing rocket launches providing services and working their way towards reusability it's really nice for there to be another player that is competitive with SpaceX for these launches. SpaceX is further along. SpaceX also has a heavy lift option and Starship that they're working on. But Rocket Lab is a really fun company to watch, and we look forward to seeing them test more of their technology, but prove that there are other ways other than SpaceX to have heavy launch cadence and reliable launching. So, We look forward to more of that from Peter Beck and Rocket Lab team. Keep it up. You guys are doing awesome. And finally, we close out this episode of the 24 things in space to look out for in 2024. It's the total solar eclipse, the Great American Eclipse of 2024, and that will be rolling in our neck of the woods. The 2023 total annular eclipse went from the northwest coast down through Texas. This one will go from the lower west coast up through New England and the northeast. And so April 8th, we will be looking to get in that right position and use our telescopes to get a view of that total solar eclipse. And it's going to be the last one in the U.S. for a really long time. There's going to be total solar eclipses all around the world, but in the U.S. So a really important date here in April. So make sure to go check that out if you can, if you're in the path of totality. And if not, you can find us here on Today in Space. And we're going to do our best to bring you everything we can from that. And we'll have multiple telescopes. And now we have more astronomer friends like Matt tricker at Astronomy. And we're going to be talking to more folks like that who will be covering this. So you'll, you will not miss it. I guarantee it. And that's it, folks, I have been talking forever. 24 things that are going to happen in space for 2020, 2024. 2024, I need some sleep and maybe some more caffeine. But that is the episode. Thank you for joining us this week for our review of what to look forward to in 2024 in space. This is Today in Space, your all things space science podcast. I'm your host, Alex Giorfanos, from the East Coast. We only had four inches of snow, but we expect more (laughs) later this year. I'm rambling. Thank you for joining us, and have a great rest of your week. Spread love and spread science. We'll see you next time.